I think he's in a great spot. I think the state's challenges are deep, but there's probably more agreement than you might guess on some of these things. Today, Bruce Ranner takes office as the 42nd governor of Illinois. But with that title comes a very tall order. Ranner is inheriting a state in serious financial turmoil. The state deficit is expected to nearly double in one year, while revenues are expected to drop $5 billion. On top of all of that, a $100 billion pension debt looms large in the background. What can be done, and how might Governor Rauner handle it? Joining me to sort through this mess is senior lecturer Paula Worthington. She's been an economist and research officer for the Federal Reserve Banks of New York and Chicago, and she now teaches state and local public finance at Chicago Harris, where she's the eight-time recipient of the award for best teacher in a non-core class. Paula, welcome. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. As we'll hear, Governor Rauner has his work cut out for him, but there's still reason for hope. We are in the midst of a government financial crisis that has been building for decades. Its roots lie in bad decisions, bad practices, and bad management by state government. It is not a partisan creation. It is a truly bipartisan one. That is newly inducted Governor Rauner at his inauguration this morning. Uh, To summarize what he's referring to, Illinois owes a lot of money to a lot of people. We're on track to keep adding to that debt, and we're expected to take in less and less revenue to pay for it. Uh, So both as an expert of finance and a resident of the great state of Illinois, uh, how are you feeling? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's uh, a tall order for Bruce Rauner to be uh, facing there when he first takes office. You've actually identified a number of measures people look at to get a grip on the state's financial condition. Probably the most uh, current issue in the news right now is the step down in the income tax rates that was effective on January 1st of this year. This step down in rates is estimated to mean that the state will collect between one and a half and two billion dollars less in tax revenue over these next six months. And over the following fiscal year, that's, as you mentioned, about a four billion dollar hole. And it's opening up in a budget context in which the state was already behind on paying its bills and meeting its obligations in a number of different ways. So it is a big challenge for the new governor to face. Mm-hmm. And how did we get here? How did we get so far into this hole? How did what how did this go on for so long? Well, that's that's a that's a great question. So, you know, one thing I can say about the state of Illinois is that uh, it's never boring uh, and it's never simple. <laughs> We have a pretty complicated fiscal structure, even though we have a a set of general funds that uh, the state uses to collect money as revenues and then pay out its bills. Those general funds really only cover just a little more than half of the state's total spending and total revenue receipt. So the point of that is to say there are several hundred other little funds. Some are really teeny tiny. Some are more significant. And so getting a handle on all the revenues coming in in these different ways and all the spending streams is very difficult. 
I think that it makes it harder for residents, businesses, and policy analysts to follow what's going on at the state level because you can move money around in these different funds and it's complicated. Not everyone has the time or patience or sometimes you don't have the information to really understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I think there's some political economy aspects. We were basically spending more on a regular basis than we were taking in. And if you do that over and over and over again, you end up eating through whatever surplus you might have accumulated and you run deficits, you're going to eventually run out of the funds needed to, to pay your bills. So Rauner has a background in private equity, mm-hmm. um, something heavily touted during the campaign that people in his business sort of know how to turn things around financially, uh, kind of the Mitt Romney line. Um, how will that help him? And what surprises is he likely to be in for? Well, I think it's a great question. And I think that anyone coming from the private sector and with a serious and engaged, substantive, and by many measures successful record in the private sector, Mm -hmm. anyone's going to come in with some energy and creativity and new perspective. And that's something that all state governments could benefit from, really. So in that respect, I think that's, that's excellent. I think there is also both on paper and I think in fact, in the private sector, you know, there are more mechanisms and there is more of a culture around accountability and personal responsibility for the work that you're doing and the results that you're achieving. And again, that kind of performance mentality might be very valuable. I think that politics, though, can make things very complicated and that in the public sector, I think it's always a challenge for someone from a setting where you can essentially hire and fire at will to move into a government setting in which there are going to be more constraints uh, on one's ability to do that kind of thing. I think there are also just more stakeholders when you're talking about a public sector entity. You have residents, you have individual taxpayers, you have business taxpayers, you have your local units of government, you have the businesses in Illinois. You can think about your voters, your constituent base, but there are a lot of moving parts there. And if you want to breathe some some fresh air and energy into some of what the state is doing and be more innovative and creative, for example, in the area of education, which is very important for uh, Mr. Rauner, and in the area of infrastructure, you have to be prepared to deal with a lot of different constituencies there, including those who may cling tenaciously to the status quo. I think it's fair to say that with all this going on, very few people are truly envying Bruce Rauner right now. Uh, fiscally speaking, he's in a bit of a pickle. <laughs> well, you know, I'm gonna, I would push back on that, actually. Really? I think he's in a great spot. I think the state's challenges are deep, but I think that there's probably more agreement than you might guess on some of these things. I don't think the pension problem has a easy answer because that's a 100 billion dollar problem a lot of 
economic, financial, and legal matters to work through on that. And I think he's got a problem in the short run to deal with the uh, revenue gap opened up by the income tax rate Mm -hmm. uh, cutback. But, you know, in terms of getting the revenue side of things in order, it could be a little tricky politically, but I think there are two, three, or four clear steps the governor-elect could take. And he'd, of course, have to partner with the state legislature to make these things happen, but to change some of the, the tax code in ways that would reposition this state for success, I think. Uh, I would help it fiscally and avoid getting into trouble later down the line. I think that would be, that's a great opportunity. <laughs> and I think there are people who would help him you know, think that through. He's probably already got them on his team. Mm-hmm. Which is it's interesting to hear you say that because he's been awfully vague about his intentions, um, how exactly he's going to close the revenue gap. Um, although this morning in his address, he did mention that he'll freeze all non-essential state spending and that he'll begin scrutinizing state expenses. Um, what are some of his other options? Right, right. So one option that he actually did address and explore a little bit during the campaign was the idea of how he put it as modernizing the tax code and expanding the sales tax base to include some services. In general, the state of Illinois taxes consumption of goods, So when you go to the store and you buy a coat, you pay some sales tax on it. But when you go to get a haircut, you don't. Now, taxing haircuts isn't going to raise a lot of money, but there are other services that you could actually raise a decent amount of money on. And so he has talked a little bit about that. And there is pretty serious work devoted to that and getting revenue estimates. And that's real money. Depending on which services you brought into the tax base, you could raise $50 million a year, or you. there are estimates that would take you above $3 billion a year mm. uh, in revenue for the state. You would want to be sensitive to whether those same services are taxed in other jurisdictions, because you would worry whether people would say, well, I don't want to buy it here in Illinois when I can buy it from some other untaxed Indiana. jurisdiction. Right. Exactly. So you have to be mindful of that. But I think I think that's definitely a direction the governor-elect has given some indication he's sympathetic to, and, you know, obviously the devil's in the details. But since services consumption is growing faster than goods consumption, moving the tax base in this way would mean that the tax base would grow more organically with the rest of our economy, and that's a good thing. Another thing that many people have discussed, and I don't have any knowledge of whether it's really on the governor-elect's radar screen, is the treatment of retirement income in the state of Illinois. Illinois, by some measures, has the most generous treatment of retirement income of any state in the country. Basically, we do not tax the retirement income. We don't tax payments they get from their pensions that they're collecting when they're retired. Most states tax at least some of that retirement income. Again, these are ballpark kinds of estimates, but if you subjected what you would call federally taxable retirement income to the state's own income tax, you know, you're talking about that's an extra one and a half to two billion dollars a year for the state. Mm-hmm. You know, again, you'd want to ask questions about 
what in economics jargon we would describe as elasticity and responsiveness to that tax change, are we worried that we're going to lose a lot of residents who are going to move away from Illinois? Should we make that change in our tax code? I think the evidence for elderly people, for retired people, is pretty clear. They're not moving in response to tax changes. They might move in response to changes in the weather. <laughs> it's been a, been a cold January so far, and so maybe we're going to see some, uh, some impact there. But for the retired age population, you just don't see that kind of responsiveness. So that would be an avenue the governor mm-hmm. could pursue. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any sense of what Bruce Ranner will do? I mean, do you, th- do you have a kind of... <laughs> Do you have a guess of which of these things he's more or less likely to take advantage of? I don't. I, I, I really don't. I think that the sales tax issue vis-a-vis services is one that there's a fair amount of agreement on, and I, I would love to see movement uh, in that direction and think that that might be feasible. Retirement income, I don't know if that's on the radar screen at all. Uh, I think another area, though, where I I feel there are people in in a lot of different parts of the ideological spectrum who could reach agreement is that we also need a new way of paying for our infrastructure investments here. Uh, And so I have in mind, you know, the kinds of public assets like roads and bridges, police stations at the local level, wastewater treatment facilities, things like that. I mean, they're not super glamorous, but we know we have underinvested and that some of our public capital is in very bad shape. So how do we fund expansion of that? And here's where I think, you know, Mr. Rauner's private sector and equity experience might be very, very valuable because in some of these cases— we can really identify a set of users who are going to really benefit from that particular asset being built and operated. You know, roads obviously carry vehicles. You've got leisure travel, business travel, commercial travel, all that stuff. And so you can look to those users to help you fund the expansion or renovations in these assets. It's not true for all assets that you've got a revenue stream you could work with, but it's true for some. And so I would be optimistic that the governor is going to try to figure out how to do that uh, in a way that isn't just, I'm going to build more roads, I'm going to issue a lot of debt to build those roads, and then I'm going to make you pay taxes over the next 20 years to repay that debt. I'm sure we're still going to do some of that, but I'd be optimistic that we'll be doing some other things as well. Over the last 20 years, the state has failed to make the contributions that were promised in the 1995 pension legislation. And it's that failure to make contributions that has really hindered the pension fund's ability to grow their assets as quickly as they would uh, and should have been growing. The other sort of side of that, of course, is the liability side. It is relatively easy for elected officials to promise pension payments and make generous commitments of pensions 
but not have to pay for it out of their current year budgets if you're not going to fund them properly. So there were probably instances in which pension benefits were made more generous to state and covered employees, but we didn't actually fund them. But it sounded good. So the liabilities probably grew faster than we might have liked and faster than they would have grown had elected officials had to pay right that moment for the additional promises that they were making. And the impact of the Great Recession on stock markets and asset values certainly didn't help the state of Illinois, but that is not the reason that our state is looking at a $100 billion unfunded pension liability. Uh, most of that really is due to a history of under-contributing to the pension funds on the part of the state. Uh, you know, no one wants to be the bad guy. Everyone wants to be the, the good guy to say, hey, I promised you through this contract, I'm going to promise you this in terms of compensation, it's wages, it's uh, health insurance, and it's pensions. And I'm giving you a generous pension, but we did not have a mechanism which essentially forced the funding of those pension promises and commitments. Governor Quinn sort of tried to make an effort to fix the situation before leaving. Well, new controversy today over a pension crisis drowning the state of Illinois. So what is Illinois doing? Putting a face on the problem, creating a cartoon snake named Squeezy the Pension Python. Where, uh, <laughs> stop laughing. The problem is the squeeze. You see, as government employers try to keep up payments into the pension fund, they have to slash other services that we need, like schools, for example. Last year, Squeezy the pension python, everyone's favorite pension python, um, <laughs> to show how the idea of pensions are strangling school mm -hmm. and infrastructure and all these mm -hmm. other things. Mm -hmm. And he actually managed to pass a law to try to balance things out. But now that law's in the Illinois Supreme Court. So first off, was Quinn's approach a viable solution? Sure. So... The legislation made changes in retirement eligibility ages, really just modestly reduced the future increases in benefits that plan participants would receive. The impact of that legislation was to decrease the unfunded liabilities in the system and to firm the state's commitment to fully funding those plans over about a 30-year period of time. So, you know, the legislation, were it to be fully enabled and, and implemented, would put four of the state's five pension funds on track to reach fully funded status by no later than 2044, I think it was. It did not do anything to shift currently employed workers and plan participants into defined contribution plans. So the legislation was a compromise, I'm sure, piece of legislation, and it was designed to get us off the very bottom of the state rankings. We have the country's lowest funded ratio where that is the ratio of assets on hand 
to the liabilities that the fund is going to have to cover. So about 40% uh, as of the most recent figures. So that means we have 40 cents for every dollar we've promised to pay out. So that's something that, again, the target is to get to fully funded status over a 30-year period of time. Squeezy the Python was really uh, intended to convey a pretty important idea, which is that each year now, the state of Illinois is devoting a large fraction of its resources to making pension contributions, part of which are what we might call current contributions, like for the pension benefits of the employees who worked this year, but part of it is paying for the catching up, you know, for the fact that we didn't make the contributions before. So even with the reform legislation in place, the state will be devoting between 20 and 25 percent of its tax revenues to pensions over the next few years. And that's that's a very significant figure. Mm -hmm. You know, another way of thinking about it is our unfunded liabilities are about two and a half or three times as large as our state tax revenues (laughs) on an annual basis. Um, So the the mountain is steep. But as you as you indicated, that piece of legislation was challenged in court. And at this time, I believe the most recent ruling was in November when a judge ruled that the legislation violated the Pension Protection Clause of the state's constitution. So it has not been implemented. The judge ruled it was unconstitutional, and the state intends to or is in the process of appealing that ruling and taking it to the Illinois Supreme Court. Was that the best way to scale this steep mountain? Is there a better option at hand? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. That's what I'm waiting for Mr. Rounder to tell us on Tuesday. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, This is is hard because the Pension Protection Clause itself has language that appears to limit the state's ability to impair these pension benefits. And we also recognize that the state, as the employer, made commitments to these employees and said, we're going to pay you this much in salary, and we're also going to provide such and such in the way of retirement benefits. And so there's a sense in which the state, you know, faces these obligations and wants to meet them, of course. What could we do with a $100 billion unfunded liability, though? Um, that is not an easy question. Who is going to bear that? Is it Illinois taxpayers? Will it be borne in part by current plan participants, either the retirees themselves or current employees who are still accruing retirement benefits? There, I don't have a good answer on, on how that can be fixed. If if Paula Worthington was going to be the governor, what changes would we see that we're unlikely to see with the actual new governor? Oh, great, great question. All right, so, you know, as I've already said, you know, I 
kind of expect to see some action on the sales tax and maybe on infrastructure projects and financing. You know, I would love to see the income tax, the rate structure change. I would absolutely take seriously the retirement income issue. But if I were really running the show and were kind of unconstrained politically, I would consider moving to a progressive rate structure. One of the things about our state's fiscal structure is that when you take our flat rate income tax, a high sales tax rate, and the high local property taxes that we pay, the overall state and local tax system combined tends to be somewhat regressive. Lower income households devote a higher share of their income to paying the taxes than do higher income households. And that's an issue that many states confront and the way they kind of deal with it is by being progressive with their state personal income tax. So I would definitely think hard about that. Another thing I would really want to confront is one of the two biggest spending flows that the state is responsible for, and that's for primary and secondary education. Right now, we have a system in which the state provides some grant funding to local school districts, and that system is arguably complicated and not so fair and not so efficient either. (laughs) So without even thinking hard about whether the total number of dollars being spent and shoveled out the door is the right number, although that's a great question, I would really want to devote some time to thinking about, okay, if we're going to spend six, seven billion dollars, how are we going to spend it? Which school districts really should get the most sorts of uh, assistance from the state. I would love to see that conversation take place. And I think it is taking place in a lot of different circles, and I really don't know what the future will, will look like on that front. And then the other big sort of ongoing current expense that the state faces is essentially through its Medicaid program. And the state has made some big moves to move a lot of enrollees in the Medicaid program into managed care. And the idea is that that will limit cost growth and improve access to care and health outcomes. That is a huge program. It represents a big share of our spending. And I don't know really where the opportunities lie for making that program better or more efficient. But I think given the size of that program and its importance in the state budget, I think it would really be great to spend some time thinking about where you'd want to go with it. Care to sum up your outlook on the new governor? Well, um, I guess I would just end by saying I'm very optimistic that the new governor can come in and I hope develop good working relationships with the other elected officials and other policymakers and really start to tackle some of these longstanding problems that we face. You know, you're a young person, and so you don't have to stay in Illinois if you think, gee, I really don't want to be responsible personally for that $7,000 per capita unfunded 
pension liability. You know, you're not going to want to stay. Businesses aren't going to want to come to Illinois if you feel the fiscal outlook is poor. So there are a lot of outside signals that we're a little bit off course. And I think many people, Democrats and Republicans, see that. And to me, that means there's room to be optimistic with a new governor coming in to just say, okay, let's see if we really can make some changes uh, for the better here. Thank you so much, Paula, for joining me. You're welcome. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening. We are delighted to announce that Radio Harris is now on iTunes and Stitcher, as well as SoundCloud. Like us, subscribe to us, and share us with a friend. This episode was produced by me, Jake Smith, with music from A Smile from Timbuktu and Christian Bjorklund. Until next time, this is Radio Harris.